continuing our short little two-part series called Raised. And last week we talked about uh, children, how they are to um, interact or relate to their parents, to live in obedience to their parents. Not because they're forced to, not because uh, their parents do everything right, but because the fact that this is what honors God and as Christians, this is what God calls us to do. Today we're going to talk about the relationship of parents towards their children. I do have something, though, to say to, to those that are not parents in here, if you think, well, this isn't going to relate to me in any way. I want to give you an affirmation right at the very beginning. To all the parents, all the people in here who are, who are not parents, you are perfect right now. And I say that because as I remember from before I was a parent, that the only perfect parent is the person who's not a parent. So all of us in here that are parents uh, need to hear some of this. We have the example of one perfect child in history, Jesus. Otherwise, there's no perfect children, there's no perfect parents, and therefore we are all in need of the guidance of Scripture. And so today we're going to look at one verse. We're going to study the one verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 4, and again, uh, it's in your Bible, so you can go ahead and open there in your pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are a few dynamic translations that will address this verse to both fathers and mothers. It'll say mothers and fathers or parents. Uh, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training of the Lord. But the Greek verse uh, the Greek word in verse 1, in which it says, children, obey your parents, is actually the word for parents. So, so, so Paul wasn't confusing the two. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, when he says fathers, he uses specifically the word, for, the Greek word for father. Now my sermon is for all parents, but I want us men to take note of this uh, in a particular way. That the primary, what I believe the primary responsibility for a well-balanced, for well-balanced parenting falls on dads. Doesn't mean that both aren't involved, but, but, but we have a responsibility as dads. There are single mothers and single fathers in this room that are having to play the role of both mom and dad. And to you, we say thank you very much, and we pray as, as God is, is working to fill in those gaps. As a, as a son of two parents who were both basically raised by single mothers uh, and, and from, from split homes, I say thank you to those of you that are, that are doing that, who are having to play both roles of mom and dad. But unfortunately, there are also some moms in here who are playing the role of both mom and dad, even though this dad still is at home. Dads, I want us to hear today's message for ourselves and not hear it and think to ourselves, well, I really hope my wife is listening and we'll do a better job, all right? That's, that's not what we want today. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This text is a, is a picture of a balanced discipline uh, balanced discipline and training of children. It begins with the negative, addressing those of us that tend to be harsh in our interaction with our children. But it doesn't neglect uh, discipline, which comes in the affirmative after the semicolon. The first instruction 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. This is the New International Translation of this. I prefer the English Standard Translation, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I like this language, do not provoke your children to anger. How are individuals provoked to anger? The Bible actually gives us some insight into this. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, it might have been a verse you learned at some point in your life. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 tells us that a, a gentle word, what? Turns away wrath, but a harsh word, harshness, stirs up anger. The Bible tells us what, what, stirs up an anger, what stirs up anger in an individual. It's harshness. We understand this as adults in our interactions with, with other people. And yet so often, here's the funny thing, and yet so often we are surprised when our kids respond in anger towards us or when our kids react in a way that is, is defiant. If we were at work and we had a coworker that was doing something that we didn't approve of and we got in their face and said, what do you think you're doing? Look at me, I'm talking to you. I'm not saying I've ever done this. I'm just, this is just what I've seen other people do. And then that kid gets, and then that person would get defiant at us. Don't talk to me that way, or, or I don't want to talk to you. We'd say, we totally understand why they were reacting to us in that way. We'd say, well, my attitude is, is, is affecting their attitude. And yet for some reason, as adults, when we do this to children, and they become defiant or angry or, 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 or have attitude with us, we suddenly become incredulous. Why are you talking back to me? Why are you acting in this way towards me. But the Bible tells us that a harsh word provokes anger. It stirs up anger. And what we are not to do as parents is stir up anger in our children. So we want to talk about, at the beginning of the sermon, about being harsh and being too harsh. And some of us parents are aware that we tend to be on the harsh side. Maybe some of you others are not as aware of that. How can we know if we are harsh parents, if we, if we are being too harsh with our children? Let me give you three practical ways in which you can maybe uh, know if you are being too harsh with your children. Number one, ask the question, what were my parents like? What were my parents like? Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17 and 18, tells us this. Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment of the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. What does that mean, that you bring the punishment of the parents' sin into the laps of their children. It does not mean that their children receive the judgment for their parents' wrongdoing. It does not mean that, 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 the, that the children are punished because their parents committed some sin that they have not committed. What this is saying is it means that, that one of the consequences or one of the punishments of sin is that it affects even our children. Our sins, our choices affect even our children. And if we're not careful, it affects our children's children and their children's children. So in regard to the, to the topic today, if you had a, a harsh or an oppressive or, or a dictatorial parent or parents, as much as we may not want to be like our parents, I'm sure many of us growing up said, 
When I'm, a, when I'm an adult, I'm not going to do that. Or when I'm an, a parent, I am not going to do that. As much as we may not like to be like our parents, the scriptures tell us if our parents sin in a particular way, we are more likely to fall into that same pattern. If we don't consciously ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to break the cycle, then our kids are going to get exactly what we got. Now, I will acknowledge that I tend to be on the harsh side. My parents are in town today, so I'm not going to tell you where I got that from. Although I've heard my mom say several times when I've been an adult, you're just like your father. You interpret what that, what that means and where then I got some of this from. But a second practical way to know if we are too harsh, and this is a novel concept, simply ask your children. Ask them. And I would say those of you that are parents that, are, that are, have children that are grown, maybe it'd be a good idea for you to go back and ask them, you know, was I too harsh on you as a child? Have that conversation with them. I've gone to my kids and I have, I've asked them, was daddy, was daddy too tough? Was daddy too difficult on this? And when they tell me yes, and they don't always tell me yes, but when they tell me yes, I'm able to apologize and there's some healing that takes place. And a third practical way to know if we are too harsh is this. How do your kids respond to you? And how do they interact with others? What do the scriptures tell us? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If my kids are constantly responding to me in anger, if they're constantly responding to others in anger, then likely the problem is not them. It is how I am approaching the situation. If I am responding in anger to them, then I should expect them to respond in anger to me. If I am being impatient with them, then I should expect them to be impatient with me and with others. If I have a certain tone when I talk to them, then I should expect them to have a certain tone when they talk to me or others. Our children reflect us. Ellen White wrote in the book Child Guidance, parents who exercise a spirit of dominion and authority meet in their children the very disposition that they themselves have imparted to them. So then how do we move away from, from a harsh way of discipline to something that is more in line with how God would have us to raise our children? As Alcoholics Anonymous would say, first you have to acknowledge you have a problem. First you have to acknowledge that you have a problem. So a little over a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was talking to an individual at the school, one of the individuals that works at our school, and they pulled me aside privately. And this lady said to me, she said, Pastor, I wanna talk to you. I noticed that you're quite stern with Dayton. You know, children, especially our, our oldest children, often get the worst of our instincts as a parent. And I have to admit that that's been true with Dayton. He's probably got the, the, the worst of my, my parenting. And this, this, this teacher at our school began to cry as, as she shared this with me. And she wasn't saying it to condemn me. She wasn't saying it in a way, and she wasn't saying it in front of Dayton. But she just wanted to share with me what she had observed and how she thought it could impact Dayton. And so I left that, that moment, and it, and it touched my heart. It, it, it did something to me. It was, it was an eye-opening moment. And I went home to Dee and I asked him if, if this was true. I said, Dee, do you, 
Are you feeling this way? Are you feeling nervous? If you get in trouble, it's going to be so bad for you. And he said it was. And so we made a commitment. Even though the problem was mainly mine, we made a commitment together that we were both going to do better, although it's really up to me to do better uh, uh, in that regard. And we have. I'm grateful to that, to that sister in Christ for caring enough to, to come around me and to say something to me. Now, this is not an invitation for you to start looking around and see which parents you can criticize, okay? That's, that's, that's not the case here. And I'm not going to come to you and say, hey, you need to do this uh, different to each one of you. But do not write off today's message as saying, well, you know, I'm not that bad, or I do the best I can, or it is what it is. You know, I needed that eye-opening conversation to say, you know what, I, I can be different. I need to be different. And then really after, once we admit that, that we need to be different, that we need to change, after we admit that, that there's been a challenge, there is really only one solution to change me after that, and that is prayer. It's, it's prayer, the power of prayer. A lot of, all of us, I hope, pray in here, and I think probably most of us do, but, but both parents and young people and, and, and all of you that are in here, we have to start believing that, that prayer really does have the power to change us. We have to believe that, 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 that I don't just pray out of habit, I don't just pray out of form, I don't just pray because it, it makes me feel good. We, we, we need to believe that, that when I call on God and say, God, change me, that something does happen, that something does change. We live in a society that takes our, so many of our flaws and our sinful tendencies and gives them some excuse. Well, this is just the way I was made, or, or, or this is just my personality. No, through Jesus, we have the power to overcome and to be better than we are. Not by my strength, not by my might, but by God's spirit. We have the power to be different, to be better than we've been in the past. We have the power to be different and to be better than our, our parents may have been. The Bible tells us this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, it doesn't say those of you who have only made minor mistakes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. Moreover, God is saying to the people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By the power and promise of Jesus, we can be different. So if we say like, you know what? I have not been the parent I should be. Maybe I've not been the parent I, I should have been. We need to pray and say, God, help me with this. Change me and believe that he actually has the power to do so. We can hear a sermon like this and say, yeah, I really like to do better, but man, I'm already down this track. We have to believe that God can do something in us. Prayer, it can change us. It can change us in a large scope, and it can also change us in the moment of conflict. Ellen White I read a story about Ellen White where she claimed that she never once disciplined her children 
in anger. She does not claim that she was not ever angry. In fact, she says when she would, she would get angry and she would get upset. But she said whenever she was about to become harsh with her children, whenever she was about to, to, to uh, snap at them, she would quickly extradite herself from that situation and she would say a quick prayer. And she would pray for God to change her heart and she was able then to go back without anger in her. What if all of us started doing that? What if we, when we were tired at the end of a work day and our kids are coming up around us and we want to say to them, just leave me alone, I'm tired. Go somewhere else and do something else. Anyone else had those moments? Just nod if you don't like to raise your hand. What if we said, you know what, Lord? You have that feeling coming on, you, you decide to step back from the moment and you say, God, give me just a little extra strength. We have to believe that God in that prayer, in that moment, wants to help us. What if we're tired of asking our kids to do something and we're about to just lay into them and yell at them what, or threaten them? If you do this one more time, I'm going to take away A, B, C, or D, or whatever it may be. What if we just step back and say, Lord, give me clarity in this moment? And we pray and believe that God is actually going to change us and the situation. How much different would our homes be? So we recognize that there is an issue, then, then we pray, and then the third way that we move away from harshness and the discipline of harshness to start disciplining correctly brings me to the second part of today's verse in Ephesians chapter six and verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. In our modern society, in our, in, our, in our church society, there are many harsh parents. There are many parents that are overly firm probably with their children. But there are also many parents that have chosen to let their kids rule the roost, as we would say, to be in charge. I've had many parents tell me this. I've had many parents share with me that they wish that their kids were not on their phones so much. I'm not asking you to raise your hands on this, but you may be able to relate to this. Man, I just wish my kids were not on their phone so much, I just wish they'd, they'd put their phone down. But if you ask them, well, why don't you just take it away then? Or give them a flip phone. Well, I can't do that. I mean, if they have to go back to texting A, A, B, 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 C, 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 arrow up for capitalizing. Oh man, that'd be torture to them. Parents will talk to me about how they wish their kids were not playing video games, but they won't get rid of the video games. They worry about their sons looking at pornography, but they won't remove the computers from their, their rooms. I had one parent tell me that she wished her kids wouldn't play in their competitive sports leagues on the Sabbath, and I said, well, then why don't you tell them to stop? And she said, because I don't, I don't want to be the bad mom. Another mom told me that she, she tried not to be too strict because she wanted her house to be the fun house, so at least if something did happen with her kids, it would be at her house and she would be aware of it. Listen to this statement, y'all, also from Child Guidance. How many toil-worn, burdened parents have become slaves to their children? Anciently, parental authority was regarded. Children were, were then put, put themselves in subjection to their parents, and they feared and reverenced their parents. But in the last days, the order is reversed. Some parents are in subjection to their children. They fear to cross the will of their children 
and therefore yield to them. Man, I don't want to have that fight with my kid or I don't want to upset my kid. I'm fearful. We have parents that are too harsh, but we also have homes in which kids are running the day. We shouldn't be harsh, but we should still be the parents. We should still be the parents. The Bible tells us to bring up our children, our kids, in the training or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In that last little section of, 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 of the scripture, I want us to look at three Greek words. And I want us to understand this part of the text, these, to help us understand this part of the text. The first is the verb ektrepho, which we translate bring up. We translate this word uh, bring up, bring up your children in the ways of the Lord. But this word actually means to provide nourishment or to give nourishment or to put nourishment into something. What if all of our discipline and instruction centered around this idea, this concept of am I instilling nourishment into my child? Well, what is nourishment, y'all? Nourishment is that which we put in us that makes us healthy, that, 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 that helps us to be stronger, that helps us to be, uh, to be uh, uh, better fit for whatever is coming ahead of us. Sometimes when my three boys are fighting and they're arguing and they're bickering, I call out to them, I'm tired of the bickering. Go to your rooms for half an hour. That's all I do. Hey guys, I'm sick of hearing the bickering. Go to your rooms for a half an hour. Dad, what are we going to do? I don't care. Read a book. Just go to your rooms. This is discipline. But is it biblical discipline? I'm not being physical with them. I'm not spanking them or punishing them in that way. It's not overly mean. I'm not calling them names or, or cursing at them. I'm just, I'm tired of the bickering. Go to your room. But is this nourishing discipline? I don't go to them and sit down and say, let's figure this out. Let's, let's work through this. I'm just annoyed, and I don't want to get off, 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 off my backside to go and deal with it, so I just send them to the room, and I think, well, I've done a good parenting job because I've not been overly mean, and I've not spanked them or anything else like that. I consider that reasonable. But according to Scripture, if it is not nourishing discipline, then it is unreasonable. If it's not nourishing, if it's not, it, Paul tells us our discipline and instruction be something that, that nourishes them. If my discipline does not develop my boys and make them more like Jesus and more fit to be witnesses for Jesus in this society, then I have not fulfilled this biblical instruction. The second important word I want us to look at is nuthasia. And we translate this instruction, but but nuthasia isn't just any instruction. It's not simply just instruction by, by showing or, or instruction by, by discipline. Nuthasia means verbal instruction. In other words, I've, I've rightly given them clarity on what they should do. Now, this word comes at the end of the text, but, but I put it in this part of our sermon because I want to say instruction is important for us to do before discipline. Because without instruction, discipline is unjust. Without instruction, discipline is unjust. 
Ellen White wrote, we are liable to forget that children have not had the advantage of long years of training that older people have had. If the little ones do not act in accordance with our, our ideas in every respect, we sometimes think that they deserve a scolding. But this does not mend matters. Can I summarize that quote? We shouldn't discipline beyond the degree that we have instructed. We shouldn't discipline beyond the degree that we have instructed. If our children have not been taught how to share, how can we discipline them for not sharing? If, if we have not modeled and taught our kids about patience, should I get impatient with them when they're impatient with others? If I have not taught my child how to manage conflict, should I spank if he or she doesn't handle conflict well with their sibling or a neighbor child? We must instruct to the level we expect them to obey before we expect them to obey. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, this is a text that, that, that I know has been a struggle for many parents. What does it say? It says, train up a child in the way that they shall go, and when they are old, what? They shall not depart from it. Although we get it a little bit wrong, because we think that this means that, that well, I train my children right, and I, and I train them uh, uh, all of God's teachings, and yet they still left the Lord. Why is this? Folks, let's just pause here and say to all the parents that are, uh, have adult children and you've struggled with this in your life. Eventually, children grow up and they have the right to make a decision of their own. They have rights to make a decision of their own. And yes, there might be some things that you can look back on and you can say, you know what, I should really repent of that. And I should apologize to my kids for that. But, but, but we should not be living in such a way that we think that this means like, that just because we train them that automatically they're going to do exactly right. What the Bible is saying here is train up a child in the way they should go. It's saying that the instruction that you put in their mind, if you train them right, that will never leave them. In other words, to me, that's good news. You know why? Because that means that the Holy Spirit's gonna always be using that to just work on their brains. And they're gonna go here, and God's not gonna give them rest. They're gonna go here, and God's not gonna give them rest. And God just keeps pursuing your children through that instruction that you've given them. All right, so take hope in that. Take hope in that. But here's the challenge. When I, when I think about this verse, train up a child in the way he or she should go. Uh, it means to instruct a child in the way they should go. Most of us are trying, or many of us, I should not speak for all of you, but, but I know in my own life, are trying to dis discipline our child in the way that they should go. We're not training or instructing and taking that patient time. We are disciplining them in the way they should go. And by the way, the instruction should not only be that which can, uh, and by the way, the instruction should only be that which can be supported by the principles of Scripture. Notice I didn't say the exact words of Scripture, by the principles of Scripture. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, don't smoke. But I'm still going to teach my kids not to smoke, and I believe that's a biblical principle based on the message, the, the, the health message that's in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell me not to be on my cell phone all the time, but I still can instruct my kids that it's not healthy to be on your cell phones all the time. Dr. Gene Twinge out of the University of San Diego tells us that there is a definite correlation with teen depression, teen anxiety, and teen suicide and the amount of time they spend on their cell phone. Teen anxiety, teen depression, and teen suicide, a definite correlation, University of San Diego, and the amount of time they spend on their cell phones. 
And the Bible has a lot of principles on mental health and guarding our hearts and our minds. So teach what is principle of the Bible, but nothing more. And I say that to you, but I also say that to me because Christina tells me all the time, Chad, why are you making such a big deal of this? Just relax, let it go. And she's right. Sometimes I will almost basically discipline my children or scold my children because they're doing this in the car. And tapping really annoys me. And I'll say, what are you doing? Stop that now. She's like, Chad, just let it go. Relax. This doesn't have to be a big deal. Only by the principles of heaven. But once our children know the teachings, they must have some form of consequence. They must have some form of discipline. Ellen White wrote, give few commands and few rules, but see that these are obeyed. Some of us have lots of commands, lots of rules, and we don't see that very many of them are obeyed. We negotiate, 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 negotiate to the point that, well, we might have not had the rule in the first place at all. Few commands, few rules, but make sure that they are obeyed. There must be discipline. But how do we discipline? Let's balance this with what we said about being harsh. Let's balance this with what we said about being harsh. And I'm going to give you three revolutionary ideas for discipline, again from the book Child Guidance. And I'm going, I'm going back to this book time and time again, but I've been reading this book the last few weeks. And I've just been so convicted reading this book the last several weeks that I've actually gone to my sons and I've said, especially Dayton and Landon, uh, Levi's gotten a much softer dad, but especially Dayton and Landon, I've said to them, guys, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I would tell you, some of you that are adult parents in here, as you maybe hear some of this stuff and think back to your own raising, you know, one of the things some people say, well, what can I do with my adult children? One, you keep living out a Christian life before them. But one of the things you can do as you analyze your life is go to them and just say, you know what, I'm sorry. The power of an apology is amazing. My dad has apologized to me so many times, I've told him, knock it off with apologies now. It's okay, dad, I love you. It's all good. But as he's examined his life and how he raised me, he, he's struggled with that. But I keep going back to this book over and over again because it's been so convicting. If you don't have a copy of this book, just go ahead and write on your connection card, uh, Child Guidance, and I'll make sure I get you a brand new copy of this book. I'll give it to whoever wants it. But listen to these three revolutionary ideas for discipline. And I, and I really think they are revolutionary ideas for discipline. And then after that, I'll sit down. Form of discipline number one, silence. Now, I'm not talking about the silent treatment. <laughs> don't, 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 you know, would you please talk to me? No. No, this is, this is. Dad, can we talk? No, this is not what I'm talking about. It's not, not that silence. Silence, just, just Letting the silence of the moment be the discipline. The quote, in silence there is safety. Often silence is the severest rebuke that could be given to the one who has sinned with his lips. When they, the children and youth, lose self-control and speak words that are passionate, an attitude of silence is often the best course to pursue. Not taking up a line of reproof or argument or condemnation, Repentance will come very soon. The silence that is golden will often do more than all the words that can be uttered. Your kid snaps at you and you're ready to snap back, silence. Just let it be. According to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that the purpose of discipline 
is that we become more like Christ, that we become more holy. And part of becoming more holy is, is repentance, right? We repent. And so if we are just silent and our kids come to that repentance through the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment, then haven't they been disciplined? They're growing in Christ. They're becoming more holy, more like Christ. The second revolutionary method of discipline is, again, prayer. The father, as priest of the household, should deal gently and patiently with his children. He must not allow transgressions to go uncorrected. So she's saying, here you need discipline. But then here's how she says discipline. And yet there is a way to correct without stirring up the worst passions of the human heart. Okay, Ellen White, what is that? Let him, talk in, let him in love talk with his children, telling them how grieved the Savior is over the course. And then let him kneel with them before the mercy seat and present them to Christ, praying that he will have compassion on them and lead them to repent and ask forgiveness. She says this, such disciplining will nearly always break the most stubborn heart. Wait a second. Taking time to pray with my child in a tough moment is discipline? What if every time we were about to yell at our kids, we, talk, we stopped and calmly said, can we pray about this together? And in a gentle voice, in a kind and loving voice, we prayed with them. Now, now not prayer as a weapon, not prayer as a weapon. Lord, you've seen how bad little Johnny's been, and he's just a horrible little runt, and, and, and I know that you want to save him, but right now he's not going to be saved, so Lord, please change him right now. No, that's, that's, not, that's not, no Uncle Arthur prayers, all right? I, sorry, I know that Uncle Arthur can be sacred, but read some of the end of those. I mean, like, and then Johnny broke his arm because he was such a bad boy. I mean, let's, let's be careful with what we, with what we teach, all right? Uh, if, if I just lost half to you because you're really upset about that, please forgive me. But, but, but seriously, not, not, as, not as, a, as a punishment, but, but calmly say, let's just pray about this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. My child's a sinner. Convict our hearts. What did she say? Such disciplining will nearly always break the most stubborn of hearts. In the moment when there's anger and wrath coming from the child, be silent. In the moment when they've, when they've gone against what you said, rather than yelling, hey, why don't we go talk about this, and we're going to talk about it to Jesus on our knees and allow the Lord to, to change this, this moment. And then one more. But before I move to the last one, I want to say one word about spanking. Now, spanking is not forbidden by the Bible, some people say, well, we shouldn't do it. Some people say we should. I'm not going to forbid it because we should be careful to not forbid what the Bible has not forbid, and we should be careful not to endorse what the Bible has not endorsed. But harshness is condemned in the Bible. I think of Mark's story that he just told us, and if my kid shot off a gun in the house, I would be likely really quick to, to run up there to tell Aaron to go home but before he even got out of the house to be spanking my child. But, but even in that story, what we saw is, is Mark was brokenhearted. And in that moment, sometimes we, our kids are already brokenhearted. We don't need to then spank. The Bible condemns an attitude of wrath or anger. Never raise your hand. Here's a quote. To give them a blow unless you with a clear, conscious can bow before God and ask his blessing upon the correction you are about to give. 
And I would say that if we do this 99% of the time, we will never end up spanking. We will never end up spanking. Now for the third and final revolutionary discipline method. Allow tempers to cool and just talk kindly with your child. This doesn't seem like discipline at all. Just, just allow the temper to, to cool down and allow the moment to subside. Harsh, angry words are not of heavenly origin. Scolding and fretting never help. Instead, they stir up, the, stir up the worst feelings of the human heart. When your children do wrong and are filled with rebellion and you are tempted to speak and act harshly, wait before you correct them. Give them an opportunity to think and allow your temper to cool. As you deal kindly and tenderly with your children, they and you will receive the blessing of the Lord. You know, the greatest disciplining moment that I can recall in my life, ever in my life, was the only time maybe that I think I was disciplined in the non-standard ways of discipline. We had recently moved from California to Ohio. I was a very angry teenager. I was a struggling teenager. I did not want to be in Ohio. And one night, my mom and I got into a, into a, a big fight. I can't even tell you what it was about. I don't remember what it was about, but I had a very bad temper, and I lost my cool, and my dad, saw that I was out of control and I needed to be extradited from the situation. And so my dad said, Chad, let's go. And we walked out the apartment door and we just began to walk around the apartment complex that we lived in. And we just walked around that apartment complex over and over again and we didn't talk about the fight. My dad didn't lay into me and say, how dare you talk to your mom like that or you need to get control of yourself. And I don't know how long we, we talked, and, but I do remember that we did several laps around this apartment complex that we were living at. And when we came back to the apartment, my mom was asleep in bed, and so was my little sister. She was asleep in bed. And my dad said goodnight to me. Not a word had been said about the conflict. And my dad said goodnight to me, and then he was walking back to his room, and he came back to the bathroom where I was brushing my teeth. And my dad said, I know the move has been tough on you, but I'm proud of you, and I love you. And you know what I responded to that with? Dad, don't be proud of me. I've been doing drugs. I've been doing all these things. Dun, 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 dun. And my dad said, I know. And then he said goodnight and walked away. That was it. That was it. Something struck me in that moment. My dad knew the mess that I was in and still loved me and was proud of me. I won't lie to you and say that I changed overnight the next day. There's some people in here that knew me when I was that age. They know that I didn't change overnight and the next day. But I will say this. I will say this. That it was probably one of the defining moments when I did think to myself, I want to be someone different. And it came in a moment where not one word was said about what I had done, not one word of condemnation had come. All that was said was, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Parents, parenting is hard, but maybe in the way that we do it, we are making it even more difficult. And if we thought about the power of God to help us, and to change us. And if we thought about the power of God to help our children and, and to change our children, 
then maybe the relationship with our kids could be different. Maybe the relationship in our homes could be different. As I think about this, I've been thinking about this message the last several weeks, and like I said, I've been very convicted, very convicted of the way in which I've failed as a parent in many ways. I'm grateful to a God with great grace and a God that has the power to change things and, and to move things in a different direction. And I'm reminded of this as well, that I have children that are desperately longing to see Jesus in me and in their mom. And the Jesus that I see is a Jesus that says, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. The Jesus that I see is a Jesus that says, while you were yet a sinner, I came and died for you. The Jesus that I see is described as patient and long-suffering so that I won't perish, but I'll come to repentance. And I want my kids to see that Jesus in me. Ultimately, we're all children of God. And our Father in heaven has simply said to the mothers and fathers on this earth, my children, help the children younger than you to see and to love me. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to look like you, to be like you, to set an example before our children in which they see you, Jesus and fall in love with you. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for the things that I have done in which my children in no way are able to see you, Jesus. And I'm sure there's others who have that prayer as well. But Lord, we thank you that even in this you are gracious. But you're gracious not just so that we can keep on keeping on, but but you want us to be new people. So Lord, I pray today, help each one of us in here. Children or no children, help each one of us in here to say, Jesus, I want to be all yours. I surrender my heart and my mind to you. Make me a new person and a new parent in you, Jesus. We thank you for your power that will do this in us. Amen.